Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites podcast. This is Jerry Me, your faithful host, joined as always by the greatest co-host a guy could ask for, Mr. Adam Shear. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing great. That that puts me in the uh like Ed McMahon echelon. <laughs> exactly. You're you're right up there with the greats. <laughs> Appreciate that, Jerry. I'm doing great. Good to be here again. Excellent. And Adam, we have a great guest today, you know, keeping the guest train going. Uh, we have Robin Snell from uh, Nested Financial Planning. Thanks so much for joining us, Robin. Gosh, thanks for inviting me and having me. Yeah, definitely. Really excited to have you on. So, Robin, for our listeners who uh, who don't know you, um, you know, you have your own RIA. You are a CFP. You're also an enrolled agent, which uh, I know Adam likes to keep it in the family with all the EAs. <laughs> so, uh, you know, really excited to have you on the cast today to kind of share your experience. And we just wanted to do a little bit of an interview with you to kind of find out, you know, how you started your firm and kind of what the challenges were and just kind of give some of your perspectives for our students who might be thinking about kind of going down a similar career path uh, once they have their CFP and, you know, maybe learning from your trials and tribulations to make it a little bit easier for themselves. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, to start, my firm is very new. It's just over a month old. Yeah, so brand new, brand new. It's going to be a different perspective for a lot of people, I think. Um, so to give you kind of a little background, um, I was a career changer. I had previously been in the hospitality industry, bartender, bar manager, general manager, and decided that I wanted to get out of that. Um, I ended up switching gears to online retail and doing the purchasing and inventory for them and realized that I absolutely hated that. <laughs> I love the numbers, <laughs> but just the constant grind was uh, a little tedious, right? So spoke to my husband, who is military. Was like, hey, I need to go back to school. I need to finish my degree. I'm feeling like I'm not able to go as far as I want to with my almost degree, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, babe, you know, let's get hit really quickly at the courthouse. <laughs> and I use my GI Bill. So I did that, got signed up for school. And uh, the day before classes started, I found out I was pregnant. So that added another curveball into the whole entire mix, you know, going to classes. Uh, take my calculus final two days before I gave birth. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was a little intense, you know, especially being an older woman in the college scene. Um, people were really expecting to be sitting next to the pregnant lady. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and then I went, got to the personal financial planning program at USF. The first graduating class, there was only eight of us. So very, very small group. And start getting my feet wet there, which also provided my whole entire CFP education as well. So learned a whole lot there. And again, being much older than everyone, had a different experience than the typical college frat boy and frat girl, right? <laughs> so we started doing that and um, decided that, okay, well, let's move on, get a job, see how that goes, right? And my husband at that time was also being deployed. So I had newborn baby trying to get my feet wet in the financial planning industry and a husband that was leaving, right? So luckily I did find a great job with a ensemble um, inter uh, independent contractor, independent 
practice for Ameriprise. Mm -hmm. So still stuck in the broker dealer range, but um, was able to start learning hands-on financial planning as opposed to just the books that I had. Um, and that was great because they allowed me to work three days a week. And so I could still come home to my baby and not feel completely overwhelmed at that point, but start to learn that I needed more than the financial planning that the broker dealer was offering, right? It was the free financial plan in the front end. And that's what I was doing. Previously to me working from the third them, they were shipping out their financial plans to India. So wow. <laughs> exactly oh, wow. the financial planning experience that I wanted. And then of course, COVID hit. So everything changed a whole lot there. Um, started working from home and deciding, okay, well, if I'm going to be home, I can likely do more than the three days that I was doing. So maybe I should start exploring other options. So at this point, I had taken my first attempt at the CFP, which is how I met Adam. Um, Adam was the instructor for Kaplan at that time. I don't know if I can say Kaplan. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, you know, he became one of those people that I could go to and say, hey, like, what about this? What are we doing here? Um, so I switched gears. I ended up taking my Series 7, my Series 66. I got forced into the SIE because I was right in that period where I'd start. Mm -hmm. um, and I also took my Florida 215, all in preparation for my second attempt, the CFP. At this point, I actually had some hours by myself. Um, I actually understood the concepts. We're speaking to real clients, not just putting forth these kind of cookie cutter plans to basically as a prospecting tool. Um, so that was fantastic. I was really getting to know that I loved this field. And of course, as a planner as well, I already had my five-year plan kind of laid out for me. And at that five-year mark, I wanted to open my own RIA. Well, you know, life happens and you know, say, okay, well, maybe a little bit later, I should get a bigger book. I should have more cash reserves. I should have greater experiences, right? So got my CFP finally, which was, you know, a lot, as you guys know, and your listeners know, it's intense and a lot of studying and a lot of sacrifice to be able to make time for that studying, especially if you have a family. And then after that, I was like, oh, well, got that done. That was a different story. Hey, Adam, should I be taking the EA? Is that something that I need, want? And after a couple of discussions with him and some other folks, said, okay, yeah, that is definitely the route, especially the way the tax industries were going right now. Mm -hmm. Got a big shorter on, shortage on preparers. So I was like, okay, well, let's get that in there. And it never hurts to actually be able to give real tax advice as opposed to the consult your tax professional advice. Um, so got that done and started playing with the idea of doing something else, taking the next step in that five-year plan. And that's pretty much how I ended up exploring the idea of my own RA. Yeah. And so you have nested up and running. You have a very nice website. I was doing some homework uh, for this podcast and uh, exploring the website. I really uh, like the layout you got there. It, it really has your personality shine through in a, in a couple different aspects. Uh, oh, I like, you. I like your, uh, your blog and, uh, one thing I really noticed on on your website that I've actually never seen on any other financial advisors website. So we've done a few of these episodes now where we've interviewed different advisors to kind of find out how their career path went. And uh, one thing I've never seen is you have on your website, one of the kind of services you offer is 
uh, navigating gender pay gaps and career breaks. And I just wanted to kind of talk to you about that. You know, what, what does that look like? I assume, I mean, you're, you're focusing on, on, uh, you know, women clients and, I'm assuming things like career breaks, a big one for that is, you know, childbirth, which you've gone through. So what, what does that look like for kind of helping your clients out? Well, I think it, I don't want to just, of course, relegate this to the female of the species. True. You know, a yes. lot of men are out there <laughs> doing the same things, but I think women have a unique issue where typically, again, the child rearing comes down to them, staying home, taking the brunt of the mental workload, right? And that often equates to either quitting your job or stepping back a little bit or turning to something else that is less time consuming. Well, as you both probably know, that also equates to not funding your social security. So that is likely going to be less when the time comes to retire. Mm -hmm. It also means that you're not contributing to an employer, 401k, whatever have you. Um, so there is a gap aside from just generally us getting paid, what is it, 70 cents on the dollar, less than, you know, as, as women as opposed to men. Um, so all of those things add up financially to a different type of retirement, right? Mm -hmm. But there's also so many different other factors. And I really, really dig into the emotional factor. Um, I know as being a breadwinner and being motivated stepping back and raising my son for two plus years made me feel a little bit less worthy. And my husband never made me feel that way, of course, but I didn't feel like I was contributing. So there's a totally different emotion there as well when you're stepping away. And then there's the fact of when you go back to the workplace, you're often frowned upon from taking that break. When in reality, you open yourself up to a whole different experience and I'm not sure if you guys have heard this one, but if you need something done, you ask a busy mom. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the ability to multitask, the ability to um, express your emotions and contain your emotions and have patience explodes often when you're a mom. So you do have a different skill set, the soft skill set that is really, really valuable in the workplace that is often not really looked as valuable. Mm -hmm. So making that known and putting quantifying a dollar amount to that is helpful as well. And then there's the fact that women often just don't negotiate their salaries when there is room yeah. for negotiation. So sometimes it just takes someone that says, yeah, you can go back to work. Yeah. You should go for that job. That's maybe a little bit out of your league. Um, you should ask for more money. You should switch careers because you're not getting enough money. All of those things. It's just part of what, I think is a normal conversation for women when they're talking about finances. Yeah. And it really makes sense because, you know, career coaching is not something we typically associate with uh, kind of a service financial planners provide, but it really does kind of fit right into that, you know, house of cards of, of services that, you know, we're kind of experts in and that we can help our clients out with because, yeah, probably one of the best ways to have a better retirement is to make more money. And a good way to make more money is to negotiate for those pay raises. Uh, you know, especially in times like these where we're seeing inflation going up so much, companies are all too aware that they need to be paying their employees more in order to, uh, you know, keep that top talent uh, in-house. So right. So right. Yeah, so that that's great. Uh, you know, love love seeing that. You know, definitely something. Uh, you know, some of our listeners might take some inspiration from that. Uh, that is definitely a uh, a need that is out there going unfulfilled for uh, you know a lot of different clients. Yeah, 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to just piggyback on that, Jerry. And as a a former stay-at-home parent, when my first daughter was from about one one ish year old to about two and a half, um, it would have been a difference maker for me to have someone like you say putting words to that, right? Like you may be feeling this way, and that's okay. And there's there's like a path ahead of you. So just that alone, I, I think that that is is hugely valuable. And to have experienced that yourself and bringing just that that real life, real world experience about the feelings that come with it, right? It's not just like get the job, get the salary. It's like this is demanding in so many unexpected ways. And it brings doubt in, into you about like, well, where's my place? What am I doing here? Um, just what a fantastic service and and just you bringing the emotional piece into your practice in a way that feels really, really natural to what your mission is. So awesome. Awesome to hear that. Gosh, thank you guys. And thank you for forcing me to put it in words. Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I've noticed a trend as well that we're seeing a lot of financial advisors go in the direction of financial advice and almost, you know, I don't even know if I want to call it therapy, but I don't really have a better word for it because you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had Daniel Kopp on the podcast, and he's a financial advisor who uh, specializes in, you know, military spouses and, and uh, you know, grief counseling, working with clients who have gone through a loss. And he talks a lot about, about kind of like the therapy of it and kind of talking about these things that are not traditionally associated with financial advice. And, you know, we're just seeing it more and more that, you know, our clients are wanting a more holistic approach to the services. They don't just want, you know, numbers on a piece of paper. They want, you know, human emotion tied to it and how to cope with that, that emotion. Absolutely. And I want that too, right? When I would yeah. with any relationship I'm building, I don't want to just have the superficial number part of it. I want to be connected to you and you connected to me, understand your family, understand what makes you tick. And also in turn that you know that about me and we agree on some level about how we work together. Yeah. And I think it's necessary for, for financial advisors, especially, you know, people with RIAs or independent uh, advisors, you know, I think that's really the, the service that sets you apart from those kind of big box companies that are just going to throw an AI advisor at you. That's going to, you know, pick, pick some stocks out, you know, an AI advisor is not going to talk to you about, uh, you know, negotiating pay gaps or anything like, like that. Oh, Certainly not going to talk to you. Sorry, about, friend. <laughs> yeah. Certainly not going to talk to you about like grief loss either. At least I don't, I don't want any, uh, an AI counseling me on that. With that in mind, Robin, with the, the different, people that you've designed your your firm to serve did how did the idea come about with that was it based on some of your client work while at Ameriprise just the types of people you really connected with or was that something that you built out over time and said well this is this is kind of my ideal client because I I feel like I can really connect and provide the best service like what what came first really good question um both Right. (laughs) It's always a combination. So my work at Ameriprise wasn't emotional. I had like little to no connection with any of the clients. It was just doing the numbers. And when I switched to this boutique RIA here in South Tampa, um, I was able and given the opportunity to actually connect with people. Now, I say that like I had a choice, 
but um, I didn't. It was basically that I was the senior advisor there, um, the only female advisor on the team, not to say the only female on the whole team, but as, as far as a, C a CFP. So often I got handed the women, right? The women clients, the mother-in-laws that didn't really qualify for the big dog, but okay, well, Robin will take care of you. And with that came a lot of widows. So they jokingly called me the widow whisperer. And that forces you to figure out some sort of balance between talking to someone about finances when they really do need to talk about it. But at the same time, they might not be emotionally, mentally available to talk about it. You know, they're in a deep, dark hole and struggling to see any type of light. And at the same time, they need to dig themselves out. So I got a lot of practice doing that, as well as, you know, men who had different types of relationships that didn't fit the status quo of, of the big firm, um, as well as, you know, a lot of young families. And I related a lot to the young families because that's where I'm at. Even though I'm of advanced maternal age, I'm still a young family. Um, so when I finally decided to go out on my own to start my own RIA, I went through my client list and all the clients that I had worked with or been second chair with and list them all out and decided what qualities about each client were my top favorite qualities about each client. And then I went through and said, hey, okay, what qualities are all in common here? And for me, it was a lot of emotional and empathetic and progressive people that I just really attached myself to. It wasn't based on what they did as a career. It wasn't based on sex or age. It wasn't based on how much assets they have, which is a lot of the time the way advisors work. So you've got a minimum. Okay, well, you fit that bill. Come on in. Um, that's not me. So I also was able to build my firm and the way I charge people to relate to that as well. Yeah, and I definitely wanted to talk to you about that because one thing I, I saw on your website that I liked is that you are uh, fee only, which uh, is something I feel a lot of advisors strive towards or at least kind of get, uh, you know, start things uh, planning on going that direction. And then those, you know, 12B1 mutual fund fees start looking pretty nice or those annuity commissions start looking pretty nice and sooner uh, than they expect they're fee based or, you know, just completely uh, commission-based, but you are, are sticking to your guns going fee-only. What was what was that like as far as, uh, you know, the decision to go in that direction? And does it make it kind of easier for you from a compliance standpoint, or, or what does that look like? Well, I'll have to preface this by saying, um, in the PFP program at USF, uh, I had a great mentor, actually two great mentors, uh, Dr. Robert Tiller and Dr. Laura Mattia, and they both had fee-only practices. So I was kind of indoctrinated into the cult of fee-only, <laughs> you know, as a young advisor. So my goal there was to go that way, but I didn't initially go that way, right? I went the broker-dealer route, and then I went the fee-based RIA route. And so I got to experience a little bit of all of it, but still in the back of my head was like, fee only, fee only, that's the top dog, right? That's where you're supposed to be. There's some sort of moral high ground there, if you will. Yep. Um, but after playing around with it a little bit more, it basically just, for me, removed additional conflicts of interest where I could focus and be a trusted advisor and friend to people who were going through these emotional situations and say like, hey, you do need this. I'm going to help you with this. I don't get paid to do this. You only pay me to do this. Um, so 
I can be sure that we're choosing the right thing without even having an inkling of a bias of what the commission is on the back end. Um, so that's really what was driving me as far as that goes. Yeah, especially, you know, when we start talking about fiduciary duty, I definitely think fee only is a lot easier to follow that fiduciary duty because, you know, you could say you have a fiduciary duty, but as long as commissions are involved, there's always that kind of temptation. You know, you got to it, it's it's real hard to kind of be 100 uh, percent behind it when you have that temptation out there. Sure. The human bias is there, right? Yeah. Whether it be the su most superhuman, non-biased uh, <laughs> person out there, and it's still dangling that carrot back there. Yeah. Even Mother Teresa would have trouble being, uh, you know, fulfilling that fiduciary duty sometimes. <laughs> So, Robin, I've heard of from various planners over the year about, you know, how they they settled into more of the numbers as far as the, the cost of their services, the cost per hour or uh, what their their AUM percentage was going to be and what type of person they wanted to uh, to attract by that. Right. Um, tell us a little bit more about about that process. Like, where did you start? Uh, did you have a figure in mind? Did you use some of your mentors' models as a template? Were there some resources out there that you consulted? Yes and no, right? There isn't a whole lot of resources out there aside from real life experience and working with other advisors and saying, hey, what do you charge? There's no some database where it says, hey, as a CFP, you should be getting paid this if you're salary. You should be charging this if you're not. It's not out there. And I tried so desperately and I reached out to every big fat dog I could find and say like, Hey, what's going on with you? Researched a bunch of ADVs, but it's still just not out there. Right. So for me, it was more about what was fair to the clients that I wanted to focus on. Um, often for people, my age range, um, we're talking, you know, millennials and younger, they are riddled with student loan debt. They are attempting to buy a home. Um, if they have any retirement savings, it's locked up in an employer plan. Um, and for the most part, they're just trying to get by day to day, paycheck to paycheck, and often with a monstrous amount of credit card debt, right? So going out there and say, okay, well, I'll charge the typical 1% uh, AUM on the retirement accounts would not make me enough money to keep the lights on. Um, alternatively, you know, going just balls to the wall and saying, hey, okay, well, I'm going to charge what they typically charge for a 1% AUM on a base minimum of a million, you know, okay, well, you're getting $10,000 a year. I'll just charge that as a flat fee. Well, that doesn't fit the people I want to serve either. So I had to make some decisions, right? Did I want to go big and have my own office and have staff, um, you know, do the fancy car, do the suits and charge the big bucks? Or did I want to stay virtual? and be able to work from home in soft pants um, and have people <laughs> be okay with that yep. and be able to keep my overhead low and be able to charge people based on what they could afford. So I do have a minimum, you know, it's a $3,000 minimum, which is not large compared to a lot of people. Um, but I work on a sliding scale. So I have a little formula based on, you know, their net worth and their income, because that usually makes a lot more sense than um, just AUM fees for the younger people I'm working with. Um, and putting it out there like that, saying like, hey, as you grow, 
we're going to be adjusting this, you know, formula here. It's going to bump up naturally. So there's you know, no worries about me raising my fees just arbitrarily or the fact that you're investing more money all of a sudden is going to be jumping you up the ladder. So I felt like that was the best way to do it. Now, is it? I don't know, right? I'm a month in. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of flaws there, but we'll play with it. Yeah, well, best of luck with that. And yeah, I can definitely say that is a, a trend we're seeing in the industry. I remember when I first entered the industry, like, I don't know, about 12 years ago now at this point, you know, the firm I started at was the big vaulted ceilings with the marble columns and everyone's wearing suits. And you're right, that sort of, you know, firm has a lot of overhead and they have to charge a lot of money to keep up with that overhead versus now, ever since COVID, you know, we are seeing, you know, more and more advisors go in the, you know, Zoom route in t-shirts and sweatpants and clients being 100% okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think in Florida also, we're much more casual yeah. as it is. Uh, <laughs> True. So it, it works for me. Excellent. Um, so got, getting into the actual, you know, financial planning itself, uh, a big question I always get from students kind of starting in the industry is, you know, what sort of kind of like financial planning software are you using? You know, did you license it from a, from another firm? Are you doing it kind of freehand through Excel spreadsheets? You know, how do you, how do you kind of manage that? Cause Software also tends to be a really big expense for uh, for new advisors and their firms. Well, I'll have to tell you that I've done it all. Okay. So, <laughs> Excellent. Perfect uh, person to ask then. Yeah. What's yeah. the so, <laughs> Originally, I started with Money Guide Pro and NavaPlan. Yep. Um, both very different. And using them at the same time was very strange, too. You usually get used to one way of doing things. Um, and then when I switched to this boutique RIA, it was a lot of by hand things and just using software to run a Monte Carlo or justify your answers. So I am a spreadsheet queen, right? Freaking mm -hmm. the sheets is what we call it, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I love doing that still. Um, so now I've used Right Capital also. I've used Advisor from Orion, which, whatever they're calling it now. We keep switching the name on it. Um, and now I've gone back to Right Capital. Right Capital so far has been the best of both worlds for me, but also kind of by force. Um, I did sign up with XYPN, which has been absolutely priceless as far as support with starting your own RA, compliance, even just emotional support from my little support group that I have. <laughs> um, but they have a tech stack and they include pretty much everything that you need to start your RA in an affordable price too, and also kind of takes away that analysis paralysis of oh god i have all of these options what am i going to do so i went that route <laughs> nice okay yeah. awesome yeah that's that's good i've never actually heard of them i've you know i've used money guide pro and in, in my past life and and all of those programs but uh yeah i haven't i haven't heard of them so that's something uh to check out if especially if they have something like you're saying the you know, all inclusive, just, you know, get started with your own RIA, uh, you know, all in one package that that's definitely interesting. Yeah. And they're fee only also. So they tout that and Michael Kitsis is relatively involved with it. So there's some sort of trusted advisor out there for us advisors. Mm -hmm. So that is helpful as well. Awesome. Robin, I'm not sure if you've hit uh, a situation like this uh, in your current firm, but Speaking of support and, and just support around the work, I'm sure that uh, 
you've seen in, in some of your previous roles, just hitting uh, hitting a little bit of a, a wall as as far as like level of, of necessary expertise to to process something or um, just something that's clearly kind of out of out of reach uh, to to be following the code and standards with CFP and just you know to be doing the right thing for your clients as as an independent advisor. Uh, where do you turn? Because you know your other firm or certainly Ameriprise, I'm sure there's some in-house resources that can help you to process and or at least give you the right answer. Like, what do you do now that you're independent on that front? That's a great question, and I think the way, at least my progression here, I've created a lot of relationships with other advisors, CFPs, female at CFPs, that we're constantly texting each other. You know, like, hey, have you seen this? Or guess what I just heard? You know, and so we bounce ideas back and forth. Um, of course, opening up your own RA is much different than that, right? It's not just the the book learning, right? It's all of a sudden you're making a website and you are marketing. So on both levels right now, I have a mastermind group that I'm set up and it's um, four other guys and one female and they're all CFPs all from very, very different backgrounds from, uh, you know, hedge funds and broker dealers and from the corporate side of Vanguard and all of these different uh, life histories for them that has really pulled us all in together and has given us all our own kind of expertise in the group. Um, so I always go out to them and they go out to all of us and it's always fun and a kind of a learning experience. I mean, aside from doing CE all the time, especially when you start collecting those licenses and certificates, it's a lot. Um, I just rely on my people. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Speaking of the marketing, you know, what what does that look like? Because I remember when I started in the industry, you know, the firms I was uh, interviewing with, they literally wanted us going door to door, knocking on doors, introducing ourselves to people to get clients. And I just remember thinking like, this is such an antiquated 1950s approach <laughs> to financial advising. Like this does not work. Like maybe it works in like the Midwest, but you know, being in Boston area, it's like people are just going to look at you really strange. So are you doing the door to door aspect or what does your marketing look like? <laughs> Gosh, can you imagine me going door to door? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy moment, right? Like a Pomeranian and a child in tow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, no door to door. Uh, great question. Cause I don't know. I am okay. figuring it out right now. Um, I'm just trying to throw myself out there as much as possible. Um, in my previous firms never did any marketing whatsoever. So this is a new field <laughs> for me. I'm going out and just trying everything and seeing what sticks. Um, it's been very interesting trying to learn things like SEO or how to do Google ads or any of these things. It's all just so very new to me. I've got the blog there, so I'm trying. <laughs> and, and it's hard, too, because we have such strict regulations around, you know, what we're allowed to say as CFPs in, in our marketing materials. So not only do you have to kind of figure out all of these different marketing programs, you also have to figure out how to do it and still stay compliant at the same time. It's it's definitely a pretty difficult, uh, you know, course to navigate. 100%. And personally, for me, it's I'm trying to navigate how weird I get with my marketing. 
Yeah. Yep. <laughs> good personality. So I'm like, I, okay, I want to let it out, but not, like not let all of the crazy out. Still <laughs> I, I did like that on, on your, uh, your blog, you had a, an article titled, you know, EA sports is in the game. Oh wait, not that EA. And it was, your kind of like launch into the EA. And I, I liked that little bit of a kind of like nerdy, nerdy personality poking through. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. At least you got it. I was afraid no one's going to get this. <laughs> I, I got it. I, I appreciated it <laughs> as a fellow nerd. I, I, appreciate it <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> speaking of ea are you planning on doing annual tax preparation in your firm yes and i say that very hesitantly um yes i am i have never done taxes aside from my own so it's a different journey um i did the volunteer tax program through you know, the federal government this year and i did learn actually quite a bit dare i say more than i learned from the ea but i think it's a need right? There's a big need out there. There's this kind of fuzzy line between the turbo taxers, which I still use TurboTax, um, and the people who are going full-blown with a CPA and getting charged a lot of money just to do a personal tax return. So I think there's a fine line there, and I think it's right in my niche, and I think it's going to help a lot of clients. Am I going to put myself out there just as a tax preparer? No, no. I think that is too time-consuming, and stressful in April. And I'm definitely about being low stress now at this point in my life. Um, but I'm going to offer it to retained clients and say, oh, well, here you go. You can either do it with me. I've got your stuff already or, you know, have fun doing TurboTax or getting charged a lot of money for it. If you have questions, you, you got you got a resource here. I could start a separate mastermind group <laughs> about what that looks like and uh, kind of lessons learned. <laughs> Oh, great. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's marketing in itself. I think I spent like $200 on TurboTax and I kick myself every year because I'm like, I could do my taxes myself. You know, I know how to do this, but I'm literally just so lazy. I just pay TurboTax for the import feature because I don't want to write out my, you know, 300 lines of trades <laughs> for uh, my 1099B. So TurboTax gets $200 of my money every single year just for their stupid import feature. <laughs> and it's well worth it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, Jerry, I'm going to speak as a the, from the tax preparer side and that you're doing the right thing. Because yeah, right? if I'm, okay. if, I'm preparing, <laughs> if I'm preparing your capital gains and losses and I, I see, you know, what I what I imagine you with your options trading that come uh, through, I'm like, damn you, Jerry, me. I know. Well, yeah. Like I'm I'm doing like three or four <laughs> options trade a day entering yeah, and yeah, exiting. And it's just like yep. I guess it's just worth the two hundred dollars for that. Literally just a stupid you know, Excel sheet import feature. If only the IRS, if the IRS would just introduce an import feature, yeah. I would never have to pay for TurboTax ever again. But until they do, they get two hundred bucks of my money every single year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had, I had clients, uh, to, well, I guess it was last tax season who was like, Hey, I did something great on the tax front and I tax loss harvested, uh, crypto when crypto was like tanking. Right. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, great. Great to hear. That's going to help, help you out a little bit. And my goodness, just <laughs> the, the fractional shares going down to like 10 spaces to the right of the decimal point of all sorts of <laughs> cryptocurrency uh, sourced from like Zen Ledger and his own record. I mean, it was a it was a nightmare. It took me it took me quite a bit of time to prepare that. But he got three thousand dollars in losses. So. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, back to back to you, Robin. How how are you feeling? Just in, in this new space, right? You, you, it's up and running. I mean, 
has what's on your mind right now gosh um my stress has dropped ridiculously wow it would be commuting two plus hours a day um working through lunches um it wasn't as if the job itself was stressful it was that right it was meal planning and making sure that my kid was taken care of and all of those little itty bits that working moms go through right now I'm just home and I'm still servicing clients well very well I think better than a lot of advisors and I'm doing finger quotes um out there do it and I'm actually able to be a mom and enjoy myself I'm laughing again I caught myself laughing the other day and I was like whoa, I haven't heard myself <laughs> laugh that loud and that long in a long time. Um, so, so far it's going good, but time will tell. I'm sure it's going to get more stressful. Um, I'm still just, you know, a baby in a kiddie pool here, but it's going to get real pretty quick, I think. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that is good to hear. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining us today, Robin. It's great hearing your insight. Um, you know, you're the first advisor we've had on who's like, you know, brand new to starting their RIA. So it's it's nice having that kind of firsthand experience while it's fresh and definitely look forward to kind of seeing how it develops for you. You know, maybe we can have you on in, uh, you know, a year from now and do like a one year look back at uh, at what the what the firm was like. <laughs> Yeah, that would be wonderful. I would absolutely adore that. Thank you. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So I guess just to close it out, you know, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners who are maybe thinking about, you know, taking that taking that jump into the RIA pool, any what is one piece of advice that you would give them? It's going to be the same piece of advice that Adam gave me. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> That's yeah, good advice. Do it, Yeah. <laughs> excellent excellent well awesome thank you for joining us robin uh for all of our listeners if you are looking for some more great biff bites content make sure you check us out over at biffbites.com uh also congratulations to all of our july test takers the july exam will be wrapping up as this episode comes out so hope you all got the results you were looking for. And for those of you who are thinking about maybe taking the November exam cycle, come on down to the Biff Review. Adam and I would love to have you in our classes uh, and looking forward to a great new cycle starting up here soon. Absolutely. Thanks again, Robin. Truly appreciate having you on and for all the great insights. Thank you, guys. I had so much fun. Thank you. We will see you all next week. Mm -hmm.